Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Hey, it's Dan here, and you're listening to a bonus episode of On the Tape. On Monday, Guy and I had the pleasure of speaking with Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy on Trading Spaces. That's a live chat we do every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces. Michael shared his views on the China regulatory crackdown and, of course, on Bitcoin. Thanks, as always, to our presenting sponsor, CME Group. We hope you enjoy the episode. And I got a guy, I got to give him a shout out today because I've said he's kind of like Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. It's like clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. He's is about as succinct as it gets when it comes to crypto He on the Bitcoin. So Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy, he has joined us in the past guy. <laughs> on trading space say hi to your friend michael. first like, of all so. michael saylor is a badass he's a total yeah. stud i you know i've gotten to know him which has been great and i'm thrilled that he's joining us am i allowed to say those things michael or no okay gee guys i was just happy to get invited i thought you forgot about me <laughs> the last like four or six weeks Stop. I'm you're, you're the ceo of a publicly traded company I would submit you're, you're one of the 10 most influential people on the planet in terms of economies and markets and finance. And we're not going to burden you with coming onto our pissant trading spaces. I mean, you're, you're a busy guy. Oh, come on. Okay. So what are we talking about today? I, in case you're wondering, yes, I still like Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, we figured, we figured that. Um, well, we, we, real quickly, before we get to Bitcoin, because I, I, I think, um, do you have any thoughts on like the China? I mean, listen, the, the mining crackdown was, the, you know, is a crypto thing. But it, it, in your mind, is it is it fairly well, like, related to what they're doing with, with some of their tech companies and, and just the kind of flex there? Or are they two separate issues, Michael? You know, I, I think the Chinese have pegged their currency to the dollar for the past decade. And there's just a never ending discussion about how to, you know, the, the, how do the Chinese keep their currency weak? And they've always had capital controls. You know, I remember I remember visiting China, you know, and, and the people are they're like first they tell me, well, the Chinese stock market, it trades at three X the multiples of the U.S. markets. And then they're like, then they lament the fact that they can't wire their money out of China, you know. So the bottom line is that this is a capital control thing for the Chinese. I think that, uh, and a control in general. I saw. I uh, there's a whole set of dots to connect. I think that uh, buying Bitcoin mining equipment and mining Bitcoin uh, started to become a way to uh, to overcome those capital controls, and so they they were concerned about shutting that down and i think they had some otc trading and so the china crackdown is kind of about about the chinese forcing the bitcoin security network out of china and forcing uh forcing bitcoin holders in china to kind of get clean with the chinese government and that created a forced rushed liquidation of bitcoin and that was the dynamic for the past few months everybody's 
kind of got to sell their Bitcoin to raise cash and convert from BTC back into CNY. And that was a dynamic. But you can see now with the education crackdown, you know, they, they had Ant. That was a, you know, that was a crackdown. And then the DD event was another shock. And then the three education companies is another shock. And the bottom line is, I think they would just like control of a lot of things. And uh, Bitcoin was one of the things, but not the only thing. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's about, I don't think it's about Bitcoin specifically as much as it is just about controlling the capital markets in China and then just controlling the, you know, the Chinese economy as technology is threatening to everybody. It's interesting, Michael, you mentioned U.S. dollars. Stan Druckenmiller was on, I don't know, he wrote an op-ed, it was on CNBC a few months ago, and he talked about one of his concerns was the U.S. dollar would no longer be, or potentially no longer be the reserve currency 10 to 15 years from now. I think he actually was being probably optimistic. I think we're a lot closer. Is that something, is that something you think about? It has to be on your radar screen. I actually think that... Um you know, every one of these financial crises, like the, after the, the great financial crisis 12 years ago, the dollar became more important than ever. And I think that uh, by the time the dust settles uh, after this crisis, the dollar is still going to be more important than ever. I think the U.S. dollar is spreading. Right now, the dollar is encroaching everywhere in Africa, everywhere in South America. It's, in, you know, it's encroaching into Asia because you can move on these digital rails I think the significance of Bitcoin is Bitcoin is, is going to be the world's reserve asset, mm -hmm. like not, not currency, but no, asset. I understand. and so if, if it becomes an asset that you want to hold for a decade, then what do you want to buy your coffee with? And the answer is like, I, I do these podcasts with these guys in Venezuela, the guys like, I want to trade bolivars for dollars and I want to trade dollars for Bitcoin. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep my working capital in dollars in Venezuela and I'm going to keep my long-term capital in Bitcoin. And, and, and so it's, everybody needs near-term checking account, a long-term savings account. The dollar's a winner. Bitcoin's a winner. The loser is the peso, the bolivar, the real, the naira, the you know, Syrian Lebanese pound, right? I mean, fill in the blank of right. the bottom 100 countries in the world. They all have currencies. They're all losing their currency privileges. So it's interesting. So, so, I mean, just reading, not reading between the lines, I'll just take what you said. The, you believe that the dollar and Bitcoin can appreciate simultaneously. It's not necessarily one or the other. I, I believe that there's a Western net and the Western net is Western Europe and the United States. And then there's the China net. And in China, they have Ant Financial and WeChat and Weibo and the Chinese language and the CNY currency and Chinese law. And in the Western net, they have, they have English and the U.S. dollar and the euro is kind of pegged to the dollar. And they have Western law and uh, they have Western values and they have Google and Amazon and Facebook and Apple and Twitter. And there is no Twitter and Facebook or Google in China. So what you have is two different technical ecosystems, and each one has its own language, its own law, its own currency, its own technology. They share a little bit like TCP IP at the base, and there's this great firewall of China. But at the end of the day, what you're seeing is 
China, that they want their ecosystem to revolve around the CNY and the Chinese tech champions. And in the, you know, Google and Facebook are illegal in China, right? right? But it's not stopping Google and Facebook. And so the U.S. has its stack of technologies and currency and language and law. And the Chinese have theirs. And it's like you got to choose which of the two are you going to be with. And there aren't many crossovers. So it's interesting, Mike. So let me ask you this. And Dan wants to jump in, I know. So to put it in, in prize fighting parlance, it feels as though Bitcoin just took a series of haymakers and has emerged uh, somewhat unscathed, given that uh, given this headline risk is, seems to have abated and, and the markets look okay, here. So, okay, Guy, just finish that last part. After we got punched with the haymaker, no, then what? So it seems, it seems as though it, it was able to take a standing eight count. And it's back for the next round, and it seems like it's got its second wind here. You know, I, I think that the best – it's been a great three months. I mean, what I said before was the China exodus. It was, it's a tragedy for Chinese Bitcoin holders and Bitcoin miners because they were forcibly liquidated at a discount. It's, it's a, a, an inconvenience. It's a mistake for China, the nation. It'll cost them a trillion dollars, but they can afford to lose a trillion dollars getting out of the digital property business. I mean, it's, no, it's just like China squeezing out Google and Facebook and Twitter, right? There's an economic problem, but they can live with it. I think it's a windfall for American uh, Bitcoin, North American Bitcoin miners, they all doubled their revenue and quadrupled their profitability. And, it, it's, um, and it's generally an opportunity for long-term, uh, long-term tech holders and Bitcoin holders because companies like mine, we got to buy the Bitcoin in the 30000 range, and I would have paid double or triple to buy it. I was buying from people getting forced liquidated by the Chinese pressure. So... I think it's a benefit long term, but if you're a trader in the near term, it's a nuisance or it's anxiety inducing and terrorizing. That's why, you know, but, but any, anybody trading on, you know, the joke, of course, is all the Bitcoin exchanges this week announced they're going to only 20 to one leverage. You know, for a decade, two to one leverage was considered to be anxiety inducing in the stock market in the US. Like getting 50% loan to value is a lot. They've reduced it down to 20 to 1 leverage, but it was 100 to 1 leverage. And so I think if you're a trader running on leverage, it's been a bad few months or it's just been anxiety inducing. But if you look past that long term, what you had was the Chinese basically sent Bitcoin to the U.S. And, and the fear was maybe Bitcoin is a tool for the Chinese. And, and the FUD was, you know, the Chinese control Bitcoin. And now what you've got is Bitcoin is decidedly North American, U.S., Western technology, and Bitcoin becomes the underlying digital asset backing the U.S. dollar. It's a big win for U.S. tech companies, U.S. investors, the United States dollar, the Western ecosystem. It's a, it's a really good maturing development. And if you think about the fundamentals I said before, the fundamentals of Bitcoin never look better. I mean, we could tick them off, but I'll leave it at that. Well, well, Michael, that's a really interesting you know, point that you just make that's basically being sent back um, to the West here. Because wasn't one of the big arguments that 
that the Chinese and, and just the Asians in general were dominating the mining and therefore because of the fear of regulatory here, this was back in 1718, that um, a lot of it went outside the borders of the U.S. And some of the risks were that we were going to miss out in some of the innovation, despite the fact that a lot of the early innovation was here. And, and I wonder, um, you know, that obviously has to like stabilize at some point a little bit. And there seems to be still a lot of uh, FUD as you people call it. I don't mean you people, but um, about regulatory action here. But I guess, I guess the question I have um, is does Bitcoin just have a PR problem right now? Because you just made this great point about crypto asset versus currency. It seems like they should really drop the currency bit and they might have less of a fear about the regulatory thing because it'd be easier regulatory regulated as an asset than a currency i you know i, I think that um it's it's the most disruptive technology of the decade and everybody every politician and every journalist is forced to have an opinion mm -hmm. and it's like i hold a gun to your head and i tell you give me your opinion in the next 30 seconds and people react and the and it, if all you know is, oh, I heard it's a cryptocurrency and you like the U.S. dollar as a currency, you get anxiety and you think that's scary. So I, so I do think that, yeah, it's a, in terms of marketing, if it had been launched as a crypto asset network and people said, oh, it's a crypto asset, what does that mean? Oh, it's like gold except on a computer. You would Half of the concerns would go away. Yep. I, I, I would segment the crypto market as you've got – You've got property, which is what Bitcoin is. It's a crypto property. You're holding it for 100 years. You've got cryptocurrency. That's what Tether is. Tether is a cryptocurrency. You've got crypto platform like Ethereum, and you've got crypto applications like Uniswap. Mm -hmm. If you understand all that, then you understand logically the currencies are going to get regulated like currencies. Tether's going to get regulated like a money market fund in cyberspace. And whatever concerns you have about currency moving on non-KYC rails, well, you're going to have that about the cryptocurrency. The property is going to be regulated as property and taxed as property. The, the, the applications are going to regulate as an application. If you want to offer insurance to nine-year-olds, where they can collect a million dollars if their parents accidentally die. And then nine-year-olds start collecting a million dollars and their parents die under, you know, suspicious circumstances. Some insurance agent's going to come up and start asking questions about this insurance thing in crypto space. So, you know, it's kind of common sense, but the word cryptocurrency invites a lot of fear and anxiety. And, and you have to spend anywhere from hours to days to get beyond that to understand it. Yeah. I don't think you can expect everybody that gets asked that question to have spent hours and days or months figuring it out, right? Well, most don't. We know that you've spent um, hundreds of hours and you're trying to help people understand it. And as far as, you know, I, I'm, I'm media adjacent and I ask some dumb questions uh, often or pine on things that I don't always know um, the answer to. Um, so we appreciate you coming on and laying out your clear view, Coach Taylor. I'll just say you're the Coach Taylor at Bitcoin. Um, hey, so Ivan the K has a question. This is a Twitter um, person here, uh, smart guy. It says, question for Mr. Saylor. Um, and, you know, that's your Mr. Saylor. If Bitcoin is the most disruptive innovation of the decade, then who are the current victims of that disruption? And I mean, you kind of laid it out, some of these these uh, currencies in the developing world, right? That was that, that would be one answer. Um, gold. <laughs> yeah. 
look at look at the uh, the annual results. You know, over the past twelve months. You know, if if I uh, you know I hate to do this because I make this point, but I'm going to make the point in the in a, a year of monetary inflation. Bitcoin is up over the 12 months, 298%, and gold is down 6.19%. And I, I'm not going to lie, guys, 12 months ago, I had, not, I had not bought any gold for my company. And the single number one question was, I need to buy a, a, a non-sovereign store of value that is not a currency derivative so if I don't want a currency derivative, I can't buy value stocks, I can't buy bonds, and I can't buy REITs, and I can't buy commercial real estate, and I can't buy a currency. Okay, so I only have two choices, uh, crypto gold or gold. And Bitcoin is crypto gold, a crypto property, and gold is the other. And, and here's the thing, the most controversial thing I'm going to say is people say, well, maybe you should buy 5% gold and 5% Bitcoin. And my answer is, and this is what I thought in my mind, if Bitcoin works, gold most assuredly will not. It's not like you get to split. Like when you have a fork in the road and you have to choose, are you going to use this solution or that solution? If one of them works, then, then all the money going into the other is going to divert. So I would say that the number one loser of Bitcoin is gold. I, guys, I would have bought $500 million worth of gold a year ago if Bitcoin did not exist. And I think gold would have been up 20% or 30%. But if you look at the monetary inflation hedge, mm -hmm. the S&P is up 37%, NASDAQ's up 42%, Bitcoin's up 297%, and gold is down 6%. So you tell me, what conclusion do you come to? So I'm going to answer the question for you, then I'm going to ask a question on the back of it, Michael, if I may. I also would submit, and this is because I've listened to you and spoken to you so many times, that another loser is C or are CFOs that have not realized that their balance sheets are liabilities if they are cash rich. So I would submit that. With that said, um, who, who would you be fascinated by to the extent that you can answer this question? What company would you be like, holy shit, they get it, to the extent that they were to put a percentage of their cash reserves um, from, you know, on their balance sheet into Bitcoin? Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's inevitable that that uh, the big tech company is going to embrace Bitcoin. It's just a question in my mind of of is it Facebook or is it Apple or is it Google that flips? And, you know, it's interesting to me that Amazon is in the news today. I, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if it's Amazon. They've been pretty aggressive. But here's what I think. Like, I think that... Um, the significance of Bitcoin is it's a bank in cyberspace. And if it's a bank in cyberspace with a protocol, that means somebody like Facebook with 2 billion or 3 billion users can become the world's biggest bank. Mm -hmm. and, and Facebook needs this because, because uh, Google and Apple control the platform. And so how do I actually establish parity? And I think the answer is, 
I convert my company with billions of followers or billions of users into a bank in cyberspace. And the first big tech company that does it ends up with a billion banking customers and trillions of dollars of assets. And it completely shifts the balance of power in big tech. Or another way to say it is, is these trillion dollar companies, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple, they made a trillion dollars through digital music, digital photos, digital maps, digital communications. Mm -hmm. What happens when you put digital property into the mobile device compared to digital photos? It's completely game-changing. And I'm talking about it's worth a trillion dollars to Facebook. It's worth a trillion dollars to Apple or to Google. But the one that does it first edges out the rest. And right now, all those big companies, they're all being edged out by Square and PayPal. And they don't move, then Square and PayPal and the the layer two or the second tier challengers, they're going to step up. And if they do move, they're the first one that moves, shifts the balance of power in big tech. And I think that what you'll see is, you know, putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet is just a natural, a natural consequence of putting Bitcoin into a billion user mobile app. So before you before, obviously, you made the or you made the decision to do to put Bitcoin on your balance sheet. And I think as we speak, I think you're north of 100,000 Bitcoin. But my question is, you had to get your board of directors approval to sign off and you, you gave them a homework assignment. Do you think, as we speak right now, the companies that you mentioned, are they going through that same process where they need to get their board of directors to sign off on this? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not sitting on the board of those companies, so I can't tell you what they're thinking or not thinking. But I can tell you, you know, from from uh, gossip in the industry, you know, what I hear is that this is a conversation that's going on. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. Hey, hey, Michael. Um, we have uh, Guy and I on our podcast, on the Tape Podcast. Check it out, people, in the podcast stores brought to you by our partner, CME Group. Um, Danny Moses is our partner. He's a brilliant guy. You guys might know him from the big short. Um, Danny, are you here? Because Danny had a couple comments about Tether on our podcast last week, and he wanted to ask – I mean, he brought up a really good point about a, a lot of, like, really pro-crypto people with, like, Tether. Danny, are you there? Do you want to you want to uh, kind of get Michael's views on some of your your, your thoughts on, on the Tether and some of the stable coins in general? I mean, I do have thoughts. I, I think that um, it, Tether is a digital currency – and so Tether has Tether has all of the all of the issues or exposures you would expect with a currency that's circulating, and that means you know there are certain views toward how you manage a money market, and how, there are certain views toward how you move currency around the world, and there's AML KYC issues, and Tether's uh, and Tether's more going to draw sensitive concerns, a property. 
but you know, I, I my view here is you really have to separate these things. The, the 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 currencies have their own issues, and Tether and Circle and DM and Dai, they're going to have currency issues. The properties of which Bitcoin is the king, there are you know they have property issues, property tax, property transfer, property custody. You know, and the applications have application issues and, and those vary application by application. Oftentimes there's FUD and the FUD is, oh, Tether is not backed by this or it's this or the other thing. I, I find it to be, you know, kind of irrelevant and humorous because all the legitimate buyers of Bitcoin are just wiring $500 million of U.S. dollars into a regular regulated exchange and they're buying Bitcoin. Right. So so Tether has a lot more meaning or significance in the DeFi business for for applications because they're using it more offshore, you know, and and for crypto apps and crypto trading. But for property holders, if what I want to do is own a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin for a decade, Tether is I've never used Tether, guys. I I think that um, I think it will have an interesting impact uh, in the digital currency space, when you think about the next generation use case, which is a billion people need to be able to pay for everything via a, a digital currency on an Android phone or an iPhone, they're going to want to move a CBDC or some digital currency around. And right now, you know, the U.S. and, and Europe, they're very slow to deliver a CBDC for the euro and the dollar. So what you've got is private organizations like Tether and Circle, and they're delivering that stable coin. And there's obviously a massive demand. The world wants it, right? If, if, uh, if Facebook ever delivers DM, you know, overnight, in theory, a billion people will decide they want to move the stuff around. Everybody wants it. But, you know, the, the, they're going to have to get over the regulatory and the compliance and, and stability concerns that you would expect from anybody that's going to hold you know, billions of dollars of somebody else's money in a money market. I think Danny's on now. I see Danny, but his microphone is turned off. So Danny. Mike, let me ask, this is my last question, I promise. And then, because I want to be respectful of your time. And I, I sort of know what the answer is, but I do think it's important. You're obviously the CEO of it. I think now $7 billion company. Maybe I'm off a little bit. Does it bother you? Is just the growing pains associated with Stock's up 23% as we speak here. Is that just something the market's going to figure out over time? Or should people just get accustomed to the, the flows, ebbs and flows that we've seen in microstrategy over the last six months? Well, you know, that I, I think the underlying, the underlying um, significance of laser eyes is you just got to have a focus on a long-term plan and a long-term strategy. So I'm looking out a decade, and my opinion is a decade from now, billions and billions of people will have mobile phones, and on the mobile phone, they will want their digital photos, their digital videos, and their digital property, and their digital currency. The world's going to work thousands of times more efficiently and if you want to, if you want five billion people and a hundred million companies to be able to do business in the 21st century cyber economy, you have to have a digital property network and a monetary protocol like Bitcoin 
for all of those billions of transactions to clear with each other. So I view this as technology. I think that it's disruptive technology. And I think that there are billions of people that are being punched in the face and they're asked to, un- to, to describe what this is and the significance of it. You know, and, and I kind of give you the metaphor of in the year 1903, if I walked up to every single politician, every journalist and every business person, and I said, tell me the significance of electricity in a hurry now. And I snapped my fingers. It's like, is it going to kill us? Is it going to burn our house down? Is it going to make the world a better place? Am I afraid of it? Is it going to put me out of business? Is it a good thing? And the answer is, you know, people take 20 years to figure out how they feel about it. And that's how I feel about Bitcoin. That's how I feel about my stock. Like, yes, we're having a little bit of dislocation. Last week, Bitcoin was 30,000, you know, and uh, and I said on Twitter, one of my most popular tweets was, you know, Bitcoin fundamentals never look better to me. And, and, you know, you had two groups of people, you had the group of people that immediately got it, the tweet went, you know, viral. And then you had some people like right in my face saying, what do you mean Bitcoin fundamentals? There are no fundamentals. I'm like, well, yeah, the number of the 100 million people that have it, the number of applications that have built a protocol into it, the institutional view toward it, the regulatory clarity toward it. Let me list you 150 factors that are fundamentals with regard to this as technology. And I, I, I feel like most people don't have the patience that, you know, they don't want to think this is a, a technology. They want to think this is a trading thing. And my point is, it's not a trading thing. It's a monetary protocol and it's, it's an energy protocol. And in about a decade, we'll look back and people will understand 20% of what happened. And right now, <laughs> It's just happening to them. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, suit up and go to work and educate and uh, don't get too caught up in the minute by minute, day by day, week by week volatility because, because it takes you off the big picture. The big picture is 8 billion people on the planet will have a mobile phone and they all need to be able to trade with each other and they need a value network or a protocol and we have TCP IP, and that's how we move information around. And Bitcoin is MP, monetary protocol. It's how you move money around. We need it. If Satoshi hadn't invented it, someone else would have to invent it. Otherwise, stuff just moves too slow by a factor of a million. It's that's interesting, I mean. Michael. And, and Danny's here, and I'm going to let Danny ask a question, but what you just described is as a 10-year, probably longer than that view, but what you've also said and I want Danny to jump in here, is unfortunately, we have a society that's been built on uh, angst, effectively. You know, every 30 seconds of angst and that type of thing. So it's very hard in this society to be as clear and as focused as you are. But Danny, I know you got a question. Why don't you jump in? Yo, what's up, guys? First time, long time. Sorry I'm so bad at this technology stuff, which should preclude me from from asking any type of thing about technology. But Michael, nice to speak with you. Just a quick question, and as it relates tether and i heard your comments about it i hear you for the professional crypto people it does may not mean anything but to the common person who that's their experience with it it could be something bad and you have a situation where the regulators are looking for an excuse to really clamp down on this entire industry and to me 
there's not enough people that are professionals like yourself being outspoken about it and just discarding it as something else when it's a huge, obviously, coin that's out there. It's, it's some people's only exposure to a degree. And when you think about crypto, I, there's a lot of good to it. Don't, don't get me wrong. But the bad stuff that's been out there, the money laundering aspect of it that, you know, let's go back 10 years ago, how it kind of started. And now it's professionalizing and the smartest people I know are involved. But how is that not a bad thing? for someone in the industry like a tether to be out there marketing a product that has no basis for existence based upon its backing i just think it's bad and i think <clears throat> i think it's welcoming too much regulation which is the is the antithesis of what bitcoin was created for in the first place i just want to get your thoughts on that well my thoughts are there's a hundred thousand companies that have been formed and there's a 99.9 percent .9 failure rate with companies in the past 30 years I wouldn't suggest that you simply go and take all your money and invest in a random private company. I would say that I, I would never recommend a public company. You got to do your own due diligence. There's 11,000 cryptos. I own one. <laughs> I own one thing. And there's only I only have one thing to say, which is it seems to me that the, that the lowest risk highest potential return idea that I can put my finger on is take the money that you don't need for the next four years that you would like to invest in digital gold on a big tech network, buy some Bitcoin, put it in cold storage and wait a decade and check back with me in a decade. Like everything else, you know, is, is lower return, higher risk. And they range from they range from being equity-like investments. You know, pick pick which of the companies in the S and P 500 you want to invest in. Uh, that's up to you. And and the and the extreme ones are like juggling razor blades. So like, you know, what I would say for Tether is that you know Tether is like investing. You know, in the U.S. dollar, you've got the upside of the U.S. dollar, and you've got the downside of of a private company. Okay. <laughs> Well, I like I, I think I'm on the record is I don't think investing in the U.S. dollar is a good idea. Right. I think I've said that probably I probably said that more than any other public figure. So uh, I just think that people ought to focus upon the, the obvious idea here. I think they get too cute sometimes. The obvious idea is you can buy Bitcoin, you can put it in cold storage and you can wait and there's about 10,000 companies that can plug into Bitcoin in the CFI market. Like, for example, Jack Dorsey is telling you at Square and Twitter, they're going to figure out a way to use Bitcoin. If you own Bitcoin in cold storage, if he succeeds, you're going to make money. If PayPal succeeds, you're going to make money. If Amazon uses Bitcoin, you're going to make money. Right. So you can you don't need to go and invest in the next Instagram you don't need to go and launch the 3700th new crypto. You don't need to do anything. All you need to do is put some money in digital property. Pick, you got to pick the right one, right? I, I'm a Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon investor. You hold a gun to my head. I'm going to pick, you know, what do they have in common? They're all the dominant network and they, they're worth a trillion dollars. So I like Bitcoin. Why? Because most people don't understand digital property. They already understand Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google. Those are 10 years into the trade. Bitcoin is like in year two or one. Like one year ago, 
One year ago today, no institution held more than a million dollars of Bitcoin, like no publicly traded company that I know of. And so you're kind of like in the second year of it being legitimate for institutions to get involved. Just it's early. And so I think I think that the the thing that people do is, is they're juggling too many razor blades like it's there's risk with private companies. There's risk with public companies. There's risk with cryptos. There's regulatory complexity. The, comple- the complexity of the use case, use common sense. If I take a billion dollars, I buy Bitcoin and I put it in cold storage for 30 years and I do it on a regulated exchange subject to AML KYC and I, I file my audit reports and I never trade it and I pay my taxes on it. That's the lowest risk usage of a crypto I can think of. If I start trying to like move it 52 million times a day and set up my own decentralized insurance derivatives market, that sounds to me like higher risk. So you, you figure out how much risk you want. And, you know, my, my structure is you're either a saver and you just want to save for 100 years and you swap from a weak asset to a strong asset or you're an investor and you manage a portfolio of risk. You buy Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, and you hold it a decade. Or you're a trader, you trade risk derivatives. You wanna trade risk derivatives and the second and third order derivative, have at it, but that's a professional you know, thing. I wouldn't do that. And then you've got speculator, gambler. I'm not gonna begrudge you. If you wanna gamble at a casino in Vegas, go do that, have fun, You know, buy whatever you wanna buy. But but allocate your bucket of capital to speculation versus trading versus investing versus saving. I happen to be of the opinion that Bitcoin is saving. But if you're skeptical of Bitcoin, then you could say, well, it's not a sure thing. It's more like an investment. Okay, so let's just call it a big tech digital gold. And you can handicap it the same way you would have handicapped Amazon, Apple, Facebook and Google in the year 2010 which is it's risky, but promising. That's how I would view it if I was describing it to a a reasonable investor. You know, Michael, I appreciate that. I would just say that mortgages were a great invention. Also mortgage backed uh, uh, securities as well. Leverage is the killer of all, right? When something goes wrong and tether in and of itself brings leverage into the system because the lack of cash that it actually has supporting it. So it's a levered entity. And unfortunately, the way the mortgages kind of crept into the public um, mind was, you know, they, they could buy a home, they could be liquid, they could get leverage, they could do all these things. And that blew up on a ton of people. So I hear you loud and clear. I just think I'd like to see a lot of self-policing more go on to call out that stuff, because I think it can, it can only help the industry in the long term. But I totally understand your point. Um, you know, great, great points indeed. But I just think that, again, I think we're giving too much credit for people doing their own work and thinking, you know, and not just following. So. If yeah, I think, I, look, I, I think if you've got any kind of leverage that's marked to market with liquidation risk, you're a trader or a speculator and you better be a professional. That scares me. On the other hand, I think that if you can borrow money for 30 years at 2% interest and it's not marked to market and you can invest it in a tangible hard asset, I think that in the current economy, It's a wise thing to borrow money at 2% interest in dollars and then to buy a hard asset. The debate is going to be, should you buy the S&P index or NASDAQ or Apple or Amazon or land or a house or or Bitcoin? I would pick the asset that you think will be around a decade from now 
that's uh, going to be most scarce and most desirable. And I, I think that any of any hard tangible asset should go up more than two percent in an inflationary environment. But yeah. what kills you with leverage is the mark to market and the and the forced liquidation where you get wiped out, and that gives me anxiety. I just wouldn't do that. Yeah. Well, listen, Michael, you've always been really uh, generous with your time coming on our trading spaces, uh, coming on Fast Money, and and like I said, I, I started out when you jumped on, uh, calling you the Coach Taylor at crypto. Uh, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I mean, you've been steadfast. You're amazingly transparent. You don't give a crap who wants to jump on and ask you a question, and uh, you, you always just stand and, and deliver. So we appreciate your time. Again, thanks for thanks for jumping on. Thanks for listening to our bonus episode of On the Tape, brought to you by CME Group. If you like what you heard, subscribe to On the Tape and leave us a review. We drop new episodes every Friday, and don't forget to tune in to Trading Spaces on Twitter Spaces every Monday and Wednesday at one p.m. Eastern.